listening to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast, David and Nikki Nellis. We're broadcasting live, unless you're hearing this on a podcast, from the fabulous... <laughs> but at the moment, it is live. I'm, I'm still alive. Yeah, you're still at alive. The moment, at the moment. From our fabulous Glaston studio here in the equally as fabulous, maybe more so fabulous, Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. And tonight we've got Georgia... On our minds. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. But not Ray Charles and not that Georgia. Uh, Noel Brockett is probably the most knowledgeable American. One really? of. No, I'm going to say probably the most knowledgeable American when it comes to the fabulous. Nothing like throwing down ones. a gauntlet mm-hmm. to start the show uh, off. I, it's inter- the internet, so I can say Noel knows his shit. So, <laughs> okay. so um, uh, you know, I mean, just to, to by way of introduction, I think a lot of people still don't realize that that winemaking was invented in Georgia about 8,000 years ago. I remember I was there that first night. We had a lovely dinner, and they said, try this stuff. (laughs) What's that? Old grapes. Great. Um, But, um, uh, you know, I mean, when Georgia was locked behind the Iron Curtain, there was no real information about it, and certainly not coming out to the West. And since then, slowly, the word's been getting out, and now uh, Knowles is running an organization, a company, Mm -hmm. that distributes fabulous Georgian wines. Well, I want to start off by saying that I... uh sort of was introduced to Noel a couple of weeks ago yeah. at um, a Georgian wine tasting event. And Noel was there totally dressed <laughs> in authentic garb. What is that called? Uh, it's called a chocha. Okay, yeah. That's, traditional, why it, yeah. that's why I didn't it's it. It's also making its way, come back in, in vogue, literally in the in the magazine vogue. Yeah, too. I was a little yeah. upset that you didn't come in wearing it today. I know, I know. But I thought we're on radio. I, I don't know. But, maybe but I he is that. in a Speedo, so <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Pretty Everybody cool. use that your imagination. <laughs> well, you know, radio is the theater of the mind. That's right. Um, but anyway, he was he was dressed in the... Chocha. Thank you. And, um, you know, he was, he had all these wines in front of him, and he was just telling such rich and fascinating stories about each of the wines and the winemakers. And there's this massive history to Georgian wines. And I was uh, truly spellbound. And I said, okay, I got to get you on air because these are stories that really need to be shared. Um, I do believe that thanks to people like Rose Previtt and restaurants like Supra, we are seeing more wines from around the world, you know, not just California, Italy and Australia and France, you know, like we're seeing more wines from around the world, but um, the Georgian wines are really fascinating and they do have a very long history. So why don't we talk about the fact that you are an American who <laughs> <Yes>. speaks Georgian <laughs> yeah. and uh, who has really sort of adopted the culture as his own. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, thanks again for having me the, and, and featuring Georgian wines. And my story is kind of a unique story, but at the same time, I would also say that most people that you'll meet who um, have had some kind of interaction uh, with Georgia, it's not totally an uncommon story to see that they go a little bit crazy about it eventually. Um, and that's definitely my case. You know, I was like, uh, up until 2007, I was like a normal American. I thought Georgia was just a state. 
um, and I didn't know that it was a country. Um, and uh, that's an abnormal. Yeah. that's an American that didn't have geography. Somebody who didn't graduate from yeah. high school. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, sure. That sure. was just a drunken, drugged out American. <laughs> well, I mean, I I do tastings almost weekly, and you would be surprised. I get halfway through my presentation, and people will always guaranteed at least one person yeah. to say, "I didn't know it was coming from Atlanta." There's wine in Atlanta. And I said, "Well, you weren't clearly listening." So, <laughs> um, but you know, I didn't know anything about Georgia, so I met this beautiful um, uh, young woman na- uh, at uh, uh, the small liberal arts college that I went to in Annapolis, Maryland, called St. John's. And this is a tiny place; it's about 450 people. And um, so, young, beautiful women get noticed pretty quickly. And I was not the only one interested. And what n- my wife or f- future wife was very interested it was in her country she had discovered this place at st john's she wanted to learn this education so she's from georgia from from georgia born and raised she just happened to go to outside atlanta right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> she just happened to uh, go to uh, a really got great scholarship to go to a, a great high school in georgia um again this is really important because in the 90s everything falls apart in georgia there's actually a civil war right. up until uh the middle of 90s and then there's even very corrupt rule up until um you know until about 2004 and then georgia's made a huge transition but i you know i i saw that she was really interested in georgia she was interested in passionate about bringing education to georgia she was passionate about sharing georgia to the united states so i went home and i googled it i said georgia and i was like wow this i this can't be true she was telling me all these things like it's this ancient culture it's the birthplace of wine i was like you're lying this <laughs> is not true and then i went home and googled it and it's like oh this is there's jason and the argonauts it's medea was georgian and all these books that i was reaching reading at saint john's these ancient greek texts that are mentioning this this uh places of iberia or of cartley these turned out to be georgia so i was hooked from right away so i went um you know i fell in love and, and by 2008 i was in georgia and i was running a uh, programs uh, where I was bringing exchange, uh, st- well, basically bringing students from St. John's and professors to Georgia. And basically, once I got there, it's just a transformational experience. I mean, if you talk about a culture who loves wine, you know, we know Italy, we love, you know, France. I got off the plane, I'm literally walking through the streets of this ancient city, Tbilisi, which has been burned like 19 times. And in the middle of this rubble... You mean like burnt to the ground? Burnt to the ground. Like okay. no secular buildings left that are only 100 years old, you know, because it's been burnt to the ground. The only thing that's left is churches. And I'm walking in the middle of these streets and there are grape vines growing from rubble and there are people tending to them in the middle of this dusty city and I was like okay that's strange and then <laughs> I go I go to all of the you know I first thing off the plane like you fly into Georgia at like 4 a.m. in the morning first thing I do is I go to my future in-laws house and they've got this entire table feast laid out with like people playing the guitar gallons of wine and all we do is just drink and you know we're saying toasts and we're just drinking the first night and I was like this is where I want to be this is pretty amazing and then when I you know I I spent that first trip there and I went because I was what's called the Sidze they even though I was not engaged everybody just assumed I was engaged because they're like why is this American coming to this place and so they would take me around He's hot for our daughter. <laughs> exactly. And they would take me around to different houses. You know, we were going, we literally traveled the entire country with our group about in about three weeks. And every time, because I was the seeds day, I had to choose which wine we were going to drink with dinner, which means they would bring me out four or five wines and they say, pick the one you want. And, and I tried a lot of bad wine, but I also tried a lot of fantastic wine that was made by the people who were sitting right in front of me and they were offering it to me with this kind of hospitality. So I think that was a transformational experience for me. Um, I, I've, of course, loved this woman, but, um, you know, I, I then ran that nonprofit for about four years. 
Um, it was hard to raise money for nonprofits, as all of us know here in the D.C. area. And I just knew that I wanted to work in Georgian, the Georgian space, um, but uh, I didn't know how. I didn't want to work for the State Department, as I was saying earlier, because uh, I like my freedom. I don't like to be told what to do. Um, and he has oppositional <laughs> authority disorder. <laughs> yes, Nick I've and diagnosed I him. I've already <laughs> diagnosed him. Met a fellow traveler. Uh, and... Um, you know, so I, I, but I had gotten married at that time. It was 2010, and I just knew that I wanted to work in Georgia. And I also just knew that this place where drinking and uh, in winemaking and all of these stories is just the best untold story in the United States that the United States had never heard. And I was like, I need to share this. My wife was like, You're crazy. So uh, wait, what year is this? This is 2000. Uh, so 2008 is my first time there. Okay. 2008 to 2011, I spent all of the summers there, about three to four months mm-hmm. a year, and that's where I learned Georgian. Uh, you know, when you're in immersion culture, that's kind of where, uh, what I was so doing. So you're fluent. I would call, uh, you know. The, Fluentish? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't talk about philosophy, which I would like to do, but uh, but I can I can get around and I can talk about, I can do business dealings. You know, we can talk a, about that's, wine and things like that. So <laughs> I get that. That's so amazing. Um, but yeah, it's a, and it's, again, talk about language. Uh, it's one of the earliest known alphabets in the world so there's a, a group of alphabets around 13 that linguists just shove in a corner because they can't relate it to anything else so this is like uh, in Ge- Georgian is called kart- uh, kartuli uh, in, in Georgian it's, that's what it means there's three languages in the Kartulian family and all of them are just shoved in a corner by linguists along with Hungarian or Finnish that are just don't relate so it's not Indo-European it's not uh, there's Slavic. just no language that it's just its computes own with it, right? Exactly, like yeah. you can't put it together with so something else. So its alphabet is yeah one of the what they call. What the about alphabet. Armenian or Bulgarian? Aren't so they? yeah, I mean, if you meet an Armenian, and you know, they'll probably tell you everything comes from Armenia, uh, but <laughs> don't. Uh, but in Georgians would. But know, actually, it comes from Georgia. That's right. right. <laughs> no, and then the Georgians say it actually comes from. I'm I'm more agnostic on that sense, but no, Armenian is an Indo-European language. So it has the way that you understand Indo-European language theory. We don't have to get too much on this in industry night, but it's about understanding basic words. So the word for mother and the word for father or the word for water. They're in the Indo-European language, they all have a similar root. But here's the example. So like mater, right, would be mother, mother. right? Georgian, the word for mother is deda. And the word for water, or and the word for mother, uh, father is mama. So they're switched. And then the huh. word for water is tzkali. So it has nothing to do with water. So that's just an easy example to show that it's not, you know, related. Whereas... They are. So everybody Armenian. should just really invest in learning Georgian because <laughs> it won't get you anywhere. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. It's not a practical uh, thing. It's something you do out of love, but it's uh, it's a beautiful language. It's full of, because it's a decline language. It's full of poetry. So the streets in Georgia are named after poets and not not politicians, which is nice of a change uh-huh. uh, from DC. Um, but beautiful poetry and, and things like that. So that's a little bit of language. So back to how I got really into it. Um, so I was there for, yeah, three, four years, learning the language, also really investigating the wines, didn't know how to do it, no formal wine training. You know, the first time when I went there, I was 20 years old. You know, I didn't, I was like most American millennials, I didn't have the money to buy wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a great experience where I got to try 60 wines in about three weeks. And, you know, a lot of learning about wine is tasting good wine, tasting bad wine. Um, and that really gave me a palate for Georgia and gave me a palate for Georgian style wines, but the whole spectrum of those. Um, and then I came back in uh, 2011. I, was, I quit my IT job, and I started um, uh, working in a restaurant, a little Italian joint in Annapolis. 
um, and uh, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I reached out to a, a wonderful man named Mamo Kutseratelli who had started the company that I work with now. Um, it's called Georgian Wine And he is Georgian. He is Georgian. He, he partnered with a group of Americans to start importing Georgian wine in 2005, primarily as a result that uh, Russia had, uh, which was the dominant market for Georgian wine, um, was, again, the Russian market for, is not sophisticated at this point. It's, it's also, it's a legacy of the Soviet Union, so it's all about quantity, not about quality. Um, and the Soviets, I call them the Soviets, sorry, the Russians, Putin, uh, basically levied an embargo hoping to cripple the Georgian wine industry, which was the largest agricultural export in 2004 when they elected a, a pro-Western mm-hmm. um, uh, president. And Mamuka and people like this jumped in and said, hey, we need to diversify our markets. And to be honest, I really think that was a really crazy thing to do. Um, but at the same time, as we see the picture now, the, the Russian market reopened in 2012. The market is much more diversified. Um, and it's a much more, there's still, I would still argue with the wine agency to be even more cautious about how much they send to Russia now. But it's much more diverse. The, the U.S. market is much more advanced, you know, and basically you have a, if they hadn't done that, you, we'd be probably about 10 years behind. But so, well. but so it, it's about that time. Yep. So we're talking about seven or eight years ago yep. when Georgian wines are starting to have an impact in, de- in, in the States. Yeah. Because quite frankly, if they were here before that, I don't think they were getting any attention, right? So maybe because we're in D.C., they were at an embassy or something of that nature, but they weren't being carried by restaurants, right? Yeah, the way that it started in 2005, we started with a company who will try, who is really a pioneer. It's a a company called Teliani Valley. Um, They were also kind of new. Um, They were inheriting some of the Soviet infrastructure and then modernizing it. Um, And so they were making what would consider European conventional wines, wines at a really still a great price uh, for the quality. But put it this way, 2011, when I had just started with the company, it was the first time that we had brought in the traditional style Georgian wines. And that's what really took off in the restaurant Okay, well, so let's start there. What is a traditional style Georgian wine? So traditional style Georgian wine... um, I like to say that Georgia wine is ancient wine uh, because it's it's over 8,000 years of continuous winemaking tradition. Again, that's not just my opinion. That's scientific fact. This is what we had our, our, our Lino Forum about um, that was celebrating the one-year anniversary of that. So the traditional style, which has continuously been practiced up until today, um, is where they make in, uh, their wines in large clay jars buried underneath the ground. Okay, so just to give people a visual, when we yeah. say large clay Clay jars are like six feet by what? I'm talking no like... a person could fit in there. Yeah, right? Two, two grown men can fit inside yeah. of them. Right. So they're talking about... This is like 1,000 liters. Um, so, so how tall... Like yeah. roughly, how tall? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's probably anywhere between six to eight feet tall. Okay. And then they're egg-shaped. Right. So they go down and they're conical at the bottom. Um, and so there you you sometimes the biggest ones you need probably three grown men to wrap, you know, hold their arms around it to go all mm-hmm. the way around. Um, but there are different sizes in the different regions sure. and there's all different styles. But so but this is this is the original Georgian wine. Original. This is not how all Georgian wine is made, no. but this is how original Georgian wine is made and then they're buried in So caves? they're buried under they're buried under the ground. So okay. you choose the right spot because what happens when you bury under the ground about 6 inches under the ground Buried completely? Completely. So when you go into a wine cellar in Georgia, a traditional one, you walk into an empty room and you say, where's the wine? And you mm-hmm. realize you're standing on it. 
And so there, there are other countries now that had clay vessels that they're using, you know, thousands of years later, but are still alive today. And there are people who buy quaveries and bring them. What are they called? Quaveries. Quaveries. Uh, yeah, okay, so it comes from the word quemot, which means below. Makes and so quavery is this. So, so people are buying them and not necessarily burying them. They don't have to be buried, but it just it was a way to guarantee the temperature. temperature. Yeah. So when years and years and thousands of years ago, yeah. were they were they burying them in these big clay pots back then? They were burying the pots in the ground back then. But yes. were the pots as big? They were. Uh, they were not. What did they lift them up exactly with? Exactly. Said they were not quite as big. Okay. Um, but they you do see the development where you see the smaller ones, the the eight thousand, the one that's. You can go and see in the museum that's from, I think, uh, 4000 BCE. Mm-hmm. Um, that is smaller. But they do have remnants of holes um, in, in the caves in the, in this, in the archaeological area that they, they found um, and published a paper on that showed that they were still quite big. Well, we Isn't heard about this. The Bulgarians were doing that, too. Where, what sort Latitude, of lat- latitudinally and yeah. longitudinally right. what, what parallel so they're, they're on the same parallel as what you'd say 42nd. in Bulgaria the 42nd parallel yeah. the difference is that the, um, which is what we had at this if, you, if, if anybody's interested at the Guino forum Guino is the word for wine in Georgian it's, all, it's also thought a linguistic argument that it's the original word for wine because you know, everybody knows vino sounds like vino right, right. oinos vino. oinos which is Greek which right. they're, so in, the idea is that harder letters get dropped off so r which is a harder letter, it, it probably was related or closer to the, what the oi is in Greek, but the oi is, is said a little bit different now. So oh. it's thought to be the... Or birth- My grandmother used to say oi. I was just going to say oi is just time. Jewish. Yeah. I, mean, I was just going <laughs> to say. <laughs> That's right. Oi, oi. Oi, vey, no uh, more wine. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah. That's all right. So, and so that was how they... they handled the fermentation process they dropped it in there and they did it so they but the big thing that makes their uh makes georgia kind of really unique is it's emphatically a white wine culture um and the way that they make white wines in those clay jars is where they actually leave the skins on the juice so red wine most people don't realize red wine is simply red because they you give extended skin contact or what's Uh called maceration in in wine speak um with the skins uh, Kvevri? You're not so, speaking in front of the mic. <laughs> Kvevri. Kvevri is the clay jar. Right. Yeah. And then the skin contact wines, so that's what we do with white. So what we mean by skin contact is, you know, rosé, red wine, and white wine up until about 100 years ago were all skin contact. Okay. The new kind of fresh, crisp whites that we know is basically a German invention, um, but it's taken over the world because everybody loves fresh fruits, you know. But mm-hmm. the, the oldest way of making white wine is that you would actually press the juice, put it into that clay jar, Take the skins and the seeds, throw it back in, right. and let it sit on there for an extended period of time. So red wine, it's usually up to 30 days. Mm-hmm. But in Georgia, with the traditional style, it's up to six months. Wow. Um, and the reason why you do that is that t- the skins and the seeds are actually natural preservatives for the wine. Mm-hmm. So they, in, they give tannin, which is the big word, in, you know, what you have in black A lot coffee. of people don't expect a lot of tannin in a white wine. They don't expect. And that's why they're completely unique. It's the irony of history mm-hmm. is that the oldest, what, what's become new and cool again is the oldest thing that ever was. And that is that white wines with tannin and body, if you closed your eyes, you'd be like, is this a light-bodied red or isn't? It's actually the wines in that style have actually won in blind tastings as red, light-bodied reds. Because if you know how to taste wine and you, in general, you close your eyes, you say, this feels like a red. There's no way that you would mistake the fruits to be red. Obviously. But right, the but the feeling, body feel. Exactly. And the tannin structure, you know. So as uh, Georgian wine 
obviously it's been you know the oldest wine and it's been around all through history but as we get into this century yeah. and it and it enters this market like 10 years ago were there a ton of georgian winemakers i mean were they just sending cheap wine to Russia? I mean, how, how was, what was happening over there and how were you engaging with the winemakers? Yeah, so uh, it's a really interesting story. I mean, the Soviet, <clears throat> Georgia was the largest producer for the Soviet Union um, in that, in per capita. So, you know, Bulgaria still was producing more. I was going to say, Bulgaria thinks it's it's no, no. It, they were certainly producing more bottles. It was but per the size. So Georgia's only about the size of West Virginia. Bulgaria is much larger, mm-hmm. um, and so the, for 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 its size and per capita, it was the largest producer of wine. And what you would imagine, the Soviets were selling bottled wine for extremely cheap. It was. Sure. The Georgians wouldn't drink it. Yeah, the Russians are so, so <laughs> lubricated. Yes, it's surprising they can invade anybody. Uh, <laughs> so, but so you had to sell it. So that was to say th- that was that was all run by the state, right? And everybody in Georgia what they would do is they would make their own wine. That's just okay. it. You were allowed uh, about 0.9 uh, acres uh, mm-hmm. or hectares or whatever to, of your own personal land. And what Georgians would do, you would grow everything you possibly can, but everybody would grow their own vine. So the problem was when the Soviet Union fell apart, there was all these small parts. Again, what they did, they didn't want any collaborative. So the cooperative land was owned by the state. And then the question is who actually owned it. And so that was the whole fight about that. Sure. But there's all of these vineyards that are tiny. They're producing 1,000 bottles, 3,000. So I'll give you an example. There are five companies now, I think five or six companies that produce over a million bottles in Georgia. Um, and then the, there's a, over, I think, uh, 20,000 or some in the tens of thousands of home winemakers or small entrepreneurs who well, produce less than 3,000 well That brings bottles. up the next question. Where does your wine come from? Yeah, so my wine, what we try to do as Georgia Wine Sales is that we are not interested, you know, Georgia, like we say, it's like any other country. It has a huge spectrum of winemaking, everything from sparkling that's, you know, 200 years old tradition to the ancient wines. We try to represent our mission at Georgia Wine House isn't to promote one in particular person it's to try to promote the entire spectrum of georgian wine so we do we have things from larger producers we have things that were uh, made from a very close friend of mine who made 400 bottles you Mm -hmm. know and we sell them all well i think your actual mission at georgian wine house is to pour some of that (laughs) well that's that 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 i can solve and uh, it's so what are you going to pour us first um thank you i'll pour uh thank you very much Smells beautiful. So, do you go to the little producers, Absolutely. and that's what you do? Yeah. And you, yeah. I mean, I so most of my job is selling wine to people. Um, but when I am lucky enough to get to Georgia these days, uh, which is once or twice a year, um, I hope that it could be more soon. Um, I work. That's exclusively mm. what I do. I, I try to go, especially. Uh, on my own dime, really, I go to other regions, places that are new that we haven't explored. So the majority of the wines that we import right now are coming from the eastern part of Georgia. It's called Cajeti. And that's what we're going to be drinking now. right now is the Teliani Valley. Okay. Um, Teliani Valley, again, the company that's uh, about the third largest company in Georgia. They produce mm-hmm. a spectrum of over 25 different wines. But four, they, we work with four or five that are the main workhorses. And what I love about Teliani Valley is I think they are one of the best ambassadors um, for Georgian wines for the, for the average U.S. consumer. Okay. Um, and so this is a, a, a wine that's a blend. Um, you know, the thing that we only do at Georgian Wine House is we only work exclusively with, with indigenous grape varieties. And here's the reason why, is that Georgia has 525 vitis viniferous, that means grape for, vine on, for wine only varieties 
um, in the, in the country that's the size of West Virginia. There's a big debate about how many there actually are, mm-hmm. um, but we know in the whole world. But it's about one fourth to one third of the entire uh, one fourth to one fifth of the inter- entire of all the vines that are out there. Of out there, that are made specifically. But there are for how vine. many different. 525. Okay. So what, let's talk, we'll since you just poured yeah. this, let's talk <laughs> about this, but then I'd really like to talk about what those, what some of those varieties are Absolutely. and how we can equate that to the American palate. Exactly. So this is the, why this one is, is the perfect varieties. There are two varieties in here. It's called Rocazzatelli. We'll say that fast because everybody can say it. Some people, some people call it Arcazzatelli because it's easier to say in English, mm-hmm. but Rocca means horn okay, and Citelli Italian. Yep, means. Yeah, sounds see, like you're Italian. Ricazzatelli. Exactly. Say it with an Italian, Italian accent. I don't care as long as you're doing great. <laughs> as long as you say it. It means red horn or red shoot. Okay? okay. And so this is why this is a vine that when its grapes are actually ready to pick, uh, you know, you didn't have these special things that got to test the sugar and you know before it it turned the the stem turns red and it ripens up and tells you I'm ready to pick. Oh so my it's, god! It's a it's a the largest planted wine variety in Georgia. Of, that doesn't happen with a lot. It of does grapes. not happen with most places. Right. Yeah, it's okay. a it's a it's one of these. That's like one of those turkeys where the thing pops. I know. Up. Exactly. It's like a gift <laughs> exactly. from the gods. <laughs> exactly. My god. And uh, and so it turns this lovely sort of burnt orange color of the grapes do and that and that um that uh call it clarity in Georgian, but it's the stem, the stem. It's, it turns red. And um, so that's the workhorse of Georgia. And I think it's a great variety. Um, it's not only planted in Georgia, it's actually planted in the Finger Lakes. It's planted in uh, California. It's planted in, now I found out it's planted in Oregon. Hopefully we'll have yeah, our, the Willamette <laughs> Valley. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's planted Willamette. in Yeah. And uh, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a great uh, variety that actually many people, you know, climate change is a big thing in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And they really think that re- the world is going to start looking towards Ricazzatelli and then also our red variety. It's very resistant resistant to mold. That's why they plant it in Virginia. It's because it's, it's uh, actually a big blending grape now in Virginia for a couple of places because it's very mold resistant. It's, you know, whatever, whether you're going to throw it at in in Virginia, it's still going to produce grapes. Um, So this is Ricazzatelli. How I would, you know, tell people what this is like. Um, the Teliani Valley, this wine is called Sinandali. But Sinandali. this is a blend, so it's not the only wine in here. It's dominant ricotta Teli, and then there's a, the other grape that's the majority in maybe, I mean, the, uh, the second largest planted grape in Georgia is Mtswane. Mtswane mm-hmm. um, means green in Georgian. And this is uh, 15% of that is blended into here. The reason why is that Mtswane is a more aromatic grape. Mm-hmm. Ricotta Teli is a very structured grape. Mm-hmm. So they marry, to well, they marry well together because the Mtswane can give that kind of fruitiness that you love well, in white Well, what's wines. really interesting is when you smell this wine, it really has a, a very clean, crisp, it's not a heavy fruit smell. Um, no. I would compare it to like a California Sauvignon Blanc yep. just based on scent. Yep. But then when you drink it, I mean, it's super dry, but it's way, it's got way more body than a Sauvignon exactly. Blanc, which you don't, even from the color, you don't expect it. I think, you know, you would call uh, my, I think, you know, the, there is a desire to kind of parallel it to, to, to different, to, to, to uh, grapes that you know. But I, I think there's also a little bit of a problem with that because the, most people know about four grapes. So you really can't quite, so I would say it's a cross from like un oak Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc because they I got know, that. But to me, when you say un oak Chardonnay. You're like, what's from Well, where? not only yeah. that, no, but I think for, for like the lay person in wine, people are either like, I don't like Chardonnay or I like Chardonnay. Right. And California Chardonnay is the reason to blame for that, right? Okay. Because French Chardonnay is not over-oaked and it's delicious. Yeah. But California Chardonnay, you know, you would know the history. Like, yeah. they over-oaked all their stuff. It was super fucking buttery <laughs> and yellow. Yeah. And, um, you know, but now there are people who right. 
like that shit. So, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? But <laughs> so, but so I feel like comparing anything to Chardonnay, especially if you say unoaked, if you don't know, it's a mistake because people are like, I don't like Chardonnay. Right. Right. Whereas, because I seriously, when I started drinking wine, I thought I was one of those people. I did not like that California Chardonnay, right. but somebody poured me a French Chardonnay and I was like, this is delicious. <laughs> I love this. Like, oh, white Bordeaux is fantastic. <laughs> white Bordeaux, right. I love a white Bordeaux, but I don't like Chardonnay. So let's call it white Bordeaux. That's fine. That, whatever works. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's my thing. Is that, so part of my hesitation about always doing that, and to be honest, mostly my pitch is, hey, it's a Georgian grape variety. It tastes like itself. But here's a little, yeah, get, I can give you a little bit of a hook, like it says. It's a little bit like a Sauvignon Blanc, but it's its own thing. We're going to take a commercial break. Absolutely. But when we come back, I, I think educating the American palate is tough because people are tough about wine. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to get into that. And then we can talk about more of the varietals and how, um, how they're grown in, um, in Georgia. Sounds do you want to take us out? You want me to do it? <laughs> but you know what? We're going to be right back after these words. Great. Up all night with the same thing in my head Just wanting you here next to me It's been a long time, don't you agree? We are back on Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast, David and Nikki Nellis. Uh, 
Uh, we're talking to Noel Brockett about Georgian wines, but Eric Bruner Yang has just special come guest in. star. And uh, you <laughs> I know, feel like I, I mean, interrupt every Monday. <laughs> I, I, mean, I love it. You know, we tried to get Jesus to come in; he couldn't. <laughs> so the next best thing was Eric, one of the great chefs of all time. Thank the you, owner of uh, Brothers and Sisters here at the Line Hotel, and, and spoken English, and spoken English, standing room only, and Maketo. And Maketo, which hotel. is not here at the hotel. No. Do you just want to talk? Or should... Anyways, so Eric's here. What do you got? What's going on? Well, wait. Talk about what's going on near Maketo. You've got something new going on in H Street, right? Yes. So um, anyways, thanks for having me. I'm sorry to interrupt your segment. Not at all. Um, Mondays are my admin days here, so this is why this is working out for me. Well, it works for us. Um, yeah, so a good friend of mine owns this uh, taqueria cantina across the street from Maketo called Impala. Mm-hmm. Some people don't know that. His name is Troy. Troy and I opened the original Taco Impala back in 2009. We used to rent out all the ice cream shops on H Street. Northeast. When, northeast when they would close during the winter. And we would do these little taco pop-ups. Mm-hmm. So they're usually typically pretty slow in the winter. So he asked me to help out. And so we're doing a hot pot pop-up called Yang's Hot Pot Tacos and Cerveza. Okay, wait. What? That's the name hot of the pop-up. Hot Pot Tacos that's the name and Cerveza? Of the pop-up. Yeah, okay. that's, that's the name of the pop-up. Okay, but so are you doing Hot Pot Tacos? We're doing hot pot tacos and serving cerveza. What is a no, hot there's a pot? Comma, there's a comma after there a hot pot. pot? There's a comma. There's a comma. <laughs> you can <laughs> dip your taco in the hot in pot the hot if you like. Yeah. Okay. I never dip my taco I in feel hot like, um, <laughs> you know, it's obviously you were one of the first to do ramen mm-hmm. in the city uh, with Toki right. when you opened that up. Um, and now you're bringing hot pot into the city because... Uh, Nobody's doing hot pot yet in the city. I mean, it's just sort of, it's sort of in the suburbs. It's in the it, suburbs, And yep. it's breaking into and, the city. And uh, Wally Scott had it for... At, Scott uh, had it, yep. Oh, well, Scott had it. Right. But Scott had it, like, at a table. At like, you had right. a special order. It was you know fancy I mean? schmancy. It was fancy yeah. schmancy. Right. And then Wally's is doing it, too, for the winter. Oh, right. Yeah. I think they start this week. Whaley's. Whaley's, sorry. Yes, no, that's okay. Sorry, I was like, Nick. wait, no, no, no. Wally, yeah, so that, Wally, that was a movie by Disney. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Wally. <laughs> no, so that's Nick Wiseman. Um, mm-hmm. They're down on Navy Yard. Right, that's very true. Yeah, so Yang's is open Tuesday through Saturday from 5 to about 11. Okay, cool. Yeah, and the pop-up is served upstairs, and the reason why we serve the tacos is they already serve tacos. So you might as well. And we kept the downstairs open and the staff, so... Um, mm-hmm. That's why we're serving. It. I'm and hungry. I know. And when you do the hot pots, how do you do them? Because normally, do you have to? Do you have a little burner on the table? Yeah. The best way to describe it for first-time customers, it's like Korean barbecue, but instead of cooking it on a grill, you're cooking everything in the soup. Soup. Um, and then we have the burners on the table, mm-hmm. and then everything is a la carte. Um, so you can spend fifteen bucks, or you can spend a hundred bucks. It's up to you. Right. It depends on what you're putting yeah, in. Which is how, our style. How much fun! I love that. I always need something recklessly irresponsible to do during the busiest times of my life. <laughs> that's how I roll. That's called that's called getting married. But no, he's already married. I know, with I know he is. Children. I know yeah. what he is. Two little ones. You've already done something reckless and irresponsible. All right, and yeah. quickly. So that's the only um, good decision I've ever made. <laughs> Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You've got something really fun going on here. Yes, which we're at, I already made my reservations. We're yes, coming. thank you so much. Yeah, Christmas mm-hmm. Eve and Christmas Day from eleven thirty to close, which is about midnight here for the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be serving a dim sum holiday menu mm-hmm. for both days. So we're coming uh, at two. We're coming That'll at two on right. Christmas Day. So you should expect for a lot of the stuff that you've seen at Maketo: the pork steam buns, the leek buns, crystal shrimp, we are in. spring rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it for Thanksgiving. It was a little bit slower. I, I just drooled down the front of my shirt. <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> but I think it'll be it'll be much better for the. The two holidays. Absolutely. Out. Yeah. I mean, Christmas Day. I mean, 
we always eat Chinese. I know. <laughs> so that's what we do. You didn't. That's right. what the Jews do. That's, that's right. What the Jews that's do. why Jesus is here. Yeah, that's right. right. Exactly. I <laughs> know. Uh, we're really. Um, tell the story of dim sum. Man. Right. We're very, very excited about it. So that's very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll um, spread the word on that. Yeah. And um, what about New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve is uh, RSVP. You can RSVP on the Line Hotel website or the brothers and sisters dc.com mm-hmm. um, that means it's free to get in and just charged by consumption so typical of our group you know if you don't have a lot of money you can still have a good time if you Absolutely. want to spend a ton of money is anybody else to. blown away by the fact that we've pretty much crawled through the first 20 years of this century already i mean today is technically the anniversary of this place it is i know yeah. our show is a year old in two weeks yeah which so. is amazing um, well, and we were here last year for New Year's Eve. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, and we, we really had a, good time. had a great time. So Yeah, the theme this year is Midnight Garden. So we're going to do an interior garden projection in t- inside of the entire oh, space. Fabulous. It's going to look awesome. Oh, who's doing that? I'm going to come dressed as a marijuana plant then. <laughs> Perfect. <That's> okay. <laughs> just uh, just drip CBD oil everywhere you go. Yeah, that's right. He's just going to dab it behind I, I, first. I believe I drip it anyway. Yes, <laughs> right. All right, man. Tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, this week I will be at Yang's okay. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Mm-hmm. I'll be at Maketo working the line on Friday and Saturday, and I'll be off on Sunday. All right. That's where you can find me this week. All right. Well, thanks for <laughs> popping in. All right. We'll All see right. you guys later. Bye. All right. Okay, no. Let's go back to Georgian wines. Let's do it. All right. So we were talking yeah, but about... but let's have some tacos with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next fantastic. time. I used to be sold a lot of Georgian wine in Maketo. It's one of the most fantastic t- pairings with their... Uh, five spice pork buns are yeah you're amazing. making me hungry man. I know. all right so we tried this fabulous white wine yeah. um before our commercial break and you said that um georgians were really known for their whites yeah. um and you mentioned a sparkling yes so tell us a little bit about since there's over 500 varietals yeah. of grapes how does that play into the kind of wine offerings yeah the there's Oh, the largest spectrum that you can believe, you know. Right. Of course, for for the U.S. market, we're not trying to bring all 525 to you at this at one time, and mm-hmm. and um, but we do focus on four main varieties. So in the in the whites, um, there's. Uh, the ricotta so when you say four main varieties is that mm-hmm. for just the ones that you import that we're importing right yeah. okay because yeah. i just felt what i was really surprised when i went to that event where yeah. you and i met i was really sort of blown away by the breadth and depth yeah. of wines available yeah. period i mean you had one of the largest tables yeah. um and there were other people there obviously but i was I just, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I mean, that's taken a lot of work. Like I, like I said, we started off with four wines. The company started off with four wines. Those four wines still are uh, one of some of our workhorses. But now, over the last uh, three years, it's been a concern, especially one of the things when I came on uh, onto the company was really to target to restaurants, was to really target with specialty stuff. But it's hard as a, as a small company. You know, sure. it takes cash flow. It, it takes building relationships and partnerships. So, you know, one of my favorite things that I did and was what I was able to do this um, last year was to bring wines from the second smallest region in Georgia, which happens to be the biggest region in my heart, mm-hmm. which is a place called Guria. And um, there it's, you know, known for winemaking, but even most Georgians would laugh and they'd say, oh, where, where's Gordian wines? And it's because it was completely killed during the Soviet times. So, you know, I'm able to work with small growers there, a guy named Dato Kobidze, again, who's literally making about 1,200 bottles of these 
two rare varieties that most Georgians don't even know. Right. I'm able to go there, work with him, design the labels, do everything. It's a lot of work. I, you know, I sold 500 bottles, but to me, it's one of the most proudest, you know, one of the things well, I'm most proud of. Can we talk about. about like price range a little bit? Absolutely. Because I would assume that part of, I mean, part of any issue when it comes to selling wine, yeah. when it's not from one of the regions that people know, is price, right? Absolutely. Even like Virginia to me is always the greatest example, right? So if a Virginia wine comes out at $50, somebody's like, why on earth would I spend $50? <laughs> yeah. You know, or like RDV, you know, for 129 or whatever it is. Yeah. So does Georgian wines have to come in at a lower price point to get people to try it? Yeah, it has to come in at a lower price point than, uh, but never under 10. Um, so we are our target point is fifteen dollars per bottle. Okay. Um, we do do a few really great offerings around twelve. That sometimes we do it on sale from eleven to thirteen. Mm-hmm. But um, for the European style, what what I mean by that is you know clean, crisp whites, reds that maybe see a little bit of oak. You know that are you know what you would expect. You know in terms of what wines, this is what we call new world winemaking, but really it's, you know, a couple hundred years old. Right. <laughs> um, is, uh, you know, those wines are what we really aggressively target between 10 and 15. And okay. I think that's a really important strategy because, you know, that's where as wine consumers also, you know, uh, you know, still a millennial, you know, I know those people, you know, most of us are not buying the, tr- if you look at the spectrum of, of, of wine sales, where people are buying the yeah, wine, they're buying it at 15. Right. And, and so one of the key things that we did is that the Teliani Valley line, the one that we just tasted, you know, that first, one of the first retailers to really take that wine was Whole Foods Markets. Um, and that it, over in Virginia of all places. Right. Um, and that's partially because they fit a void that was missing at that time, but they're also continue to be one of our strongest retail partners. And people really kind of, they're thinking Whole Foods, why Georgian wines? But it really fit for being a unique wine, but they could over deliver on the quality for the mm-hmm. price. And it's only been within the last um, four years that we've really kind of expanded the price range. Um, it, that's because be- you're bringing over smaller produced wines. Okay. I mean, we st- we brought the first Quivery wines ever to the U.S. market. I mean, so it, this wine though is not a Quivery. No, wine, and this right? is something that is for sale for twelve bucks. Okay. And you d- I, we sell it all the Do time. Do you sell? Yeah. Quivery wines? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So the Quivery wine, which you can taste right now, just to give you a sense, but again, it's a it's a nouveau Quivery wine for the U.S. market. Most of the Quivery wines are really um, tannic and dry, but this mm-hmm. wine from Baia Abuladze, who is in the western part of Georgia. In the western part of Georgia, they never... Um, they never made wines with so much skin contact as okay. six months. They only do about three months. Well, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. So we talked about white wines and the skin contact of yeah. the white wines. Is that prevalent on all the wa- white wines that they do, the skin contact? Is that just a Georgian thing or is it only certain grapes and certain wines? So it's um, pretty much every Georgian small producer would do some sort of skin contact because okay. you wouldn't have the new world winemaking techniques of uh, you know how to keep it refrigerated and separated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, but again, like I said, across the 8,000 years of this tradition happening, there's a huge diversity of how much skin contact, because when you say skin contact, there's so many choices. Well, I think given, you know, how popular orange wine is right now. So I feel like when people talk about skin tact, I think, well, there are orange wines. Is that something from Georgia? You need to pour that out. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk. I was going to drink it, but you can pour this out for me. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about orange wines. So yes, orange wines are skin contact wines. Right. There's our marketing problem. You know, the orange wines... Um, they, this was a term started by Californians Mm -hmm. and it was weird, wild and experimentive. Um, 
But like I said, this is what's different about Georgia. There's 8,000 years of continuous winemaking tradition. Like this style is never new and innovative. It is just the way that it's always been done. Mm -hmm. And so in Georgia, for 8,000 years, they called it amber wine. And so that's what I, when I make my pitch to my my psalms and to my other friends, I, I try to say, hey, you can call it orange wine if you want. It just is confusing to people because people really do think that it's made from oranges, honestly. It is. No, it's very confusing. It's very, amber wine yeah. makes so much more so sense. So we call it amber wine, and, and you'll see that around you know, the places, you know, the top restaurants here in D.C. that so carry it. So is that it, a, a quevery wine? So a que- that's, a, that's the big thing. That's the big difference. It's a lot of minutiae here. So quevery is simply a vessel. You don't have to add skin contact okay. or not. No, no, no. But is orange... Okay, I see what you're saying. So, But can orange wine be made in a quevery? It definitely can. It can okay. also be made in an oak barrel. It right, can be it can made, be made in anything. Okay. It, it just reflects But traditionally you, it in Georgia, yeah. it would be. Yeah, um, traditionally up in, you know, until only in the last four or 500 years would you be using other, other forms of containers. Okay. Um, but again, that's 500 years. That's, you know... So tell us, As tell us about that. this wine. So this is a this is a wine that was made in a quevery. Yeah, so this is made in a quevery, but it's what I like to call my introductory amber wine. Here's why. It doesn't have as much skin contact as my friends in Cajeti. So it's dark in the color, but not as dark and fiery this orange as delicious. you do. This is delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Because some amber wines or orange wines... They're like specifically funky. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I don't have a problem with specifically funky, but I feel like it's a challenge. And sometimes I just want a nice glass of wine. Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't have to challenge me exactly. to enjoy it. Don't you agree? I, I totally agree. And that's why why our philosophy as Georgian Wine House is to represent the entire spectrum. You know, just like in Italy, just like in France, there's a huge spectrum of wines that all mm. different flavors. If you want to drink Barolo, go for it. Many people aren't, but it's they're fantastic wines. But sometimes you don't feel like drinking well, a heavy body. Barolo is a really big wine. Exactly, what I'm saying. So you got to wrap something around that. And it's the same in the skin contact wines. Mm-hmm. It's the same. You can uh, have yeah, really this, big, or you can have introductory. So tell everybody about this wine. Yeah. So this is we call it Baez wine. Right. Um, this is a young 25 year old winemaker, woman winemaker, mm-hmm. who's absolutely amazing. Um, and it's what I love about Baez is this is a village in the western part of Georgia that really the industry was uh, th- there's not many reasons to live in that area okay. um, <laughs> let's put it the way like, other than it's extremely beautiful and it's a wonderful it's healthy to live there but the problem is that there's no industry and so Baya like many young uh, people would go to the capital started learning um, you know other things but her family is steeped in wine tradition they own you know acres of vineyards and they were just selling it sort of locally for cheaply and she said you know I'm going to go back and I'm going to reinvigorate this and be an example for the entire western part of Georgia that, you know, with marketing, with thoughtfulness and with learning, you know, this enthusiasm to learn how to make even better wine than what we've been doing. Because, yes, we've been making it for 8,000 years, but it doesn't mean we can't get better. It doesn't mean that we can't learn more about what we are. And so she brought this whole idea. She got some small little funding from the EU, a little grant. And now it's her whole family is just on fire. So Baya makes the white wines. Her uh, sister, Guanza, she markets the red wines. There's a smaller production of her red wines, which we also import here under her name. Her brother does it, her father. Her grandfather is the one who taught them all how to do it, and he's still teaching them and learning it. And it's just any other story, you know. And it's what I love about it particularly is that it's it's focusing on women because I th- that's something that's really close to my heart in Georgia is that there are so many fabulous women who have a lot of great ideas, probably even better positioned for the transition into capitalism than men in some respects in Georgia. And um, it's just so great that we can, you know, sell this bottle of wine. And this is true with every single bottle of Georgian wine, but really in particular this one, where you can 
have a real tangible economic impact on a person with a face when you spend twenty dollars. Right. You can't say that about other wine regions. Like, there's no, you know. So, and, how much you know, of this do you import a year? This. So, we just started this a uh, year and a half ago, and um, they were able to. Uh, we imported, I guess, last year about uh, fifteen hundred to two thousand bottles. We hope to be able to import double that this year. So they have the well, capacity. Let me well, ask we just helped them expand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If 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 I'm hearing this and I live in the Washington D, in Greater Washington somewhere, yeah. I I can find you out there in the world. Are you kind of a lone voice, you know, <laughs> crying out in the wilderness uh, regarding you know Georgian wines? Are there other people like you around the country? No, there's there's a growing community, honestly, um, and that's what's exciting. There's and a, a lot of them are based in DC. <laughs> well, Rose we, Previtt and yes. um, Jonathan, Jonathan from, from, from Supra. Supra. Yeah, I mean, no, I you can't under. But I mean, if I'm in. Chicago, or if I'm in, yeah, I'll, give me an example. So the November was our best year, uh, month ever as a company. Um, we expanded into four new markets. Three existing markets expanded their offerings. So we are not. We're in about twelve states. Us how, personally. How are you promoting? I mean, how are you doing it? So we a lot of it's uh, through. We have a ton of press that is coming out of Georgia. And it's what true. I what I love about Georgia in the last three years. Okay, yes, the wine mar, a wine agency has invested money, but a lot of this press. I mean, we just had we're in Forbes last week. Well, and you're in edible locally. Yeah, There's edible a huge DC, spread in edible DC. And a lot of this honestly is just completely son. organic. Yes, <laughs> and it's really organic. And so people do just go to Georgia they find the story compelling you know I, I really think if if I tell anybody that there's some place that's been making wine for 8,000 years and they're just like oh that's not interesting I just like I don't know who you right. are I you can't know. talk to who you who can say that and, there's, and that's it's just true is that when you talk about 8,000 years of continuing every person if you're interested in wine at all even tangentially especially if you're a sommelier you have to be paying attention yeah, well to this. this is a little off the subject but Russia yeah. wants Georgia they do. They want. And they want a lot Crimea. of yeah. So, what does that do to the kind of the long view of well, this industry? That's or another, do they want it for that reason as well? That's another very important reason why we do this business. So, you know, the person who I who started this company, Mama Quateratelli, um, you know, he is also a professor at Johns Hopkins Science. He's mm-hmm. he's a uh, he for many years. And we, the same thing is that what I see Georgian wine as isn't simply just working with and benefiting a few producers. It's about benefiting a country. I look at it as, as a soft power export, to be honest. Why, why is Georgian cuisine and Georgian wine the most popular thing in Russia prior to the Soviet Union and still is today? Because most of Russia sucks. Well, because it sucks, <laughs> but also because for hundreds of years, Georgians were doing there and becoming known for food. Like, how did Rose Previtt find out well, about like, Georgian food? Right, she, she, went. Went to, she went to Moscow and she's like, the people who were nice to her were Georgians right. feeding her Georgian food. And, I mean, we should also mention that there are more than just the wine in Georgia. Absolutely. You know, you have things like the kachapuri oh. and the soup dumplings and then the cheeses <laughs> and the breads, which are yes. amazing. The last Georgian that people didn't like was Stalin. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Georgians don't even like him. So. Okay, so now you said that... Um, it was a predominant wine, white wine producing yeah. country, but now... They have reds. Yeah, so I so mean, they, the, 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 don't get me wrong to say that there there always have been reds in Georgia. It's just that when you drink in Georgia, it's a uh, it's about a four or five hour affair over a table with food with plates stacked sky high, literally more food than and you could ever imagine. That's called a supra. It's called a supra, which is a feast. It's a traditional celebratory feast, mm-hmm. and at that feast, you know, so drinking isn't just 
you know, having a glass of wine. When you drink in those feasts, you're drinking for four or five hours. You allot about a couple liters of wine per person, um, which means you're really going at it. I feel like I really need to go to Yeah, Korea. exactly. And so you, and you like to drink the Kachetian style or the crisp whites because it's easier, it's less heavy, you can drink more of it. Um, and so that's what you're traditionally... So there's always red wine, but really red wine, ironically, as it is now today, it was considered more to be uh, medicinal. And so, you, you know, to have red wine, you would do it where Oops. you would, oh, sorry, you would have it just a glass a day, mm-hmm. you know, as oh, medicine. just for heart health? That's yeah, funny. Thank exactly. you. Um, but, of course, in the U.S., sorry. we love red wine more than we love like white wine. I do. I find, uh, you know, I was thinking that before. The white wines are fine, but they're so... Oh, but that amber wine is yes. delicious. They're so <laughs> kind of light and delicate. Well, that's even, is, but even those, well, you we found can, light we'll, and delicate because they're much heavier. I, right? I need to get them the, the heavy cachetti wines that'll... That'll put them in a seat. So, uh, what can we compare? Um, I mean, already, Georgian reds to for yeah. the American palate. So well, we have some sort of understanding. It, it's easier in reds because there's really just one red variety okay. um, that we're promoting because it's the largest planted, and so it's called Saperavi. Because it's not distinguishable by scent. No, it's uh, and this is a particular one too. Um, you know, in general, uh, Saperavi, which means dye, D-Y-E, and the reason for that. Is because it's a it's a very rare kind of grape. Uh, there's only about 13 or so that are like this. Where the flesh, we were talking about skin contact red is because of red wine. Mm-hmm. This flesh is actually is actually pink. It's red. It's colored with dye. So the when you age it natural naturally, yeah. And so when you age it on the skins, it becomes this inky black, uh, dark color. Yeah, it's lit- super dark. And it was usually it was actually still is today used as a dye, um, to dye uh, different textiles. And so to compare it. Here's the, let me tell you what the profile is like. So you cannot drink a Saparavi and think, not think dark, brambly, black fruits, you mm-hmm. know, in whatever incarnation you want to think about it. Sometimes so fresh, sometimes would it be stewed. like a Nebbiolo? It can be. Uh, be again, I also think that most people don't know a lot of Italian wines. Hey, what do you say? Huh? <laughs> uh, so I, I would say it's, it's, um, it but has it's elements good, of cab, but, but it's, it's also good, Right, but it's good and clean. It's not too fruit. Like, no, you know, but if I think you want some something people, that's rich and, I mean... For me, I don't. Nikki is very happy drinking a glass of wine um, and and just enjoying it for what it is. Yeah, I really like wine wrapped around food. I yeah. gotta have, and that's what this bottle is for. It. You know, and Saparavi, we are trying to crack that nut because Saparavi traditionally, again, medicinal. It was the which. What does that mean? It means it was dark. It was ink. It was heavy. It was meant for food, right? Well, I just drank it and I feel better. So. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly, and it's um, but the. You know, but the market is generally interested in lighter reds that they can just have a glass of. But the interesting thing about Saparavi, it's very malleable. So but you see, can do for those me, versions. honestly, when it comes to my personal drinking, yeah. uh, if I'm going to drink a red, it's because it's going to be bigger. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, if I'm going to drink light or just yeah. sip something, it's going to be either a bubbly or. Um, a white mm-hmm. um, or an amber in yeah. this case, yeah, yes, that's right. um, and obviously in the summer rosé. Right, you guys do a rosé. There's yeah. fabulous rosé. Saparavi rosé is just fr- free run juice from right. From it's beautiful. Sapra- it's great, super Fantastic. dry. Yeah. Um, and so, just lastly, because we are coming to the end of our show, sure. um, you did bring Wait, a spirit. We haven't, we haven't I did. emptied every bottle. I know. I know. So, just tell us about the spirit. So, yeah, you can't really get to Georgia and not talk about cha cha. Uh, is chacha like roki? It's uh, yeah, it's it's a great pumice or, or oud. Uh, it's like a grappa for you. Yeah, but it's better than most grappa. Okay, 
So what is it? But it's wine based. <laughs> it's uh, grape. It's the you take the grape, grape skins and mm-hmm. the grape seeds and you ferment that um, into a spirit. The most important thing, like there's really great grappas. The really great grappas are the ones that are made by the people who actually make the wine and they don't ship it to somewhere else. Right. Whereas in Italy, there was this big thing where like if you're making wine, you don't make spirit. You know, right, it's right. low class. But right, in right, Georgia, right. it was like. You can make something. Let's make it. Use it, so, it right. um, And so that's really how it is. Let's get high. Yeah, exactly. Right. So cha cha is you know it's uh, it's it's what often, does cha cha mean? It means grape skins and pomace. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clever. But also, Clever, those Georgians. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, you asked. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, cha cha sounds better. <laughs> yeah, it was like you know I always like to say if after you have some cha cha you're you're going to be dancing. It's typically how you start the morning after is three shots of. Chacha and, and hair of the dog. Yeah, it's right. it's really. I really love it. Uh, we this kind of version is something that's uh, softer. It's only forty percent alcohol. The traditional stuff is more like moonshine. It's like sixty percent alcohol. So that's really you know to wake you up. Mm-hmm. But this one is great in cocktails. It's also great as shots. It's you know most Americans don't expect anything over forty-two percent. So it's right. important to do it. So what I love about it is it's a little bit grapey and it's um, it's juicy, but it's still got a nice kick to it. Um, so it's an interesting thing. Um, well, I really appreciate you coming in today. My this was, and I feel like there's so much more to discuss. Just right. if you could give two recommendations, yeah. if you're going to buy two bottles of Georgian wine yeah. to have and try, what would be your best recommendations? Yeah. I know based on what you poured, and but where I would, would like, you go to buy? Right, right course, exactly. Yeah. So I, for the ease of use, I really recommend because most people in this area are probably close to a Whole Foods in this place. So that's mm-hmm. why I really brought this one. I really think if you want to get interested, introduced to a regular Georgian white, not break the bank, visit a Whole Foods, ask them for the Teliani Valley, uh, Sinandali, the white. Uh, they'll know it. They know us really well. Um, that's a great place to do it. But if you want to um, it, you know, explore um, into something even more unique, especially for this New Year's Eve, you, you're willing to spend a little bit more. There's this uh, lovely sparkling that we're doing here. It's a, from a proprietor called Orgo. They're a little small winery by a father and son. And they're a absolutely unique wine. It's a wine that's made in the quivery, but shows you this whole skin contact thing. No skin contact, mm-hmm. made method champenoise. Again, as good as any grower champagne, probably a little bit less. And I would visit a great shop on 14th Street called Batch 13. Yeah, that's so, a great, that's so, great wine yeah, store. Yeah, it's a terrific wine yeah. store. What, what does it go for? Uh, it goes for, I think it's like uh, retailing for 37, 38. That's totally yeah, reasonable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, and it's going to be the coolest sparkling that you can have your Wait, but the guys who own Batch 13, are they Russian? No, Giga's Georgian. He's Georgian. Uh, yeah, he's okay. Georgian. And you can also, if you're, if that's downtown is not your thing, you can also visit out on... Um, on 31st and M in Georgetown, a tiny little shop called Potomac Wine and Spirits. They're, they also, but that's also an amazing wine they, shop. They're our oldest partners and greatest friends and literally one of the best wine shops. In, what about in the, farther out in the burbs? Um, if you want to uh, go up, you know, Maryland is a little thing to, for me to figure out, but also there's wines available in all of uh, Northern Virginia's Total Wines or in Laurel's Total cool. Wines. You can get Great. 10 different Georgian wines. Great. Uh, a huge selection so you can go out and you have to search a little bit there. But well, why you don't you give it. us your website so people yeah, can find absolutely. you? Yeah, absolutely. So, GeorgianWineHouse.com. So that's uh, GeorgianWineHouse.com. Is you can look, browse all of the different producers that we work with. You can get in contact with us. Um, you can see some of the retailers and, of course, the fantastic restaurants that we work with at, say, say Maidan or Compass Rose or Supra or Tail of Goat right around the right corner. Right around the corner from here. Um, and, right. Um, so if you're staying so. here at the hotel, <laughs> yes. head over to Tail of Goat where yes. you can absolutely you try. You can get an education from Bill Jensen, who's a fantastic He's friend. He's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, we want to thank you again for coming thank in. You. And we want to thank you, all of our listeners, for tuning in. Um, this is our last show for 2018. We're taking... 
we're taking two weeks off. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking two weeks off. But um, it is really exciting because we have been doing we have been doing our show Foodie and the Beast for ten years. We had a huge ten year anniversary party just a month and a half ago, and uh, it was a real thrill. As well as starting this show almost a year ago, so to have both the shows that allow us to have interviews with incredible people. We feel very grateful and fortunate. So we want to thank you all for tuning in. 2019 is going to be amazing. Our first episode, we'll be talking to with the curator of the Rodarte exhibit at the National Women's Museum. I'm going to have to get some culture. You're yeah. going to have to get some culture for that I one. Read something. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, that is just an example of some of the great shows that we'll have uh, in the new year. Everybody be safe. Drink well, and we'll see you in 2019. And don't drive when you drink well. That's a good idea. <laughs> and as we say, Cabo Marchos. Yeah, whatever. You, <laughs> like he said. Victory. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. Bye.